Man, I was just singing out this morning, and I just can't help but think Jesus is good, isn't he? Man, he is exalted over all things, and we're going to exalt him further, not just in song, but in his word this morning, and hopefully, indeed, as we leave this place. So Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to be reading in verses 2 and 3. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. We'd love to give you a Bible today if you don't have one. But Paul says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, I entreat Judea. And I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take your truths into our ears and right to our hearts, and we'd be changed as a result of the hearing today. In Jesus' name, amen. The name of our message this morning is, in, is Women with Issues. Now, if you saw that in the bulletin or not, but the reason that it's called Women with Issues is because we are dealing with two women and their issue in this text. If it was men, we would have called it Men with Issues, but just so we know, we're all on the same page. I have issues, and everyone in this room has issues. Let's collectively say it together on the count of three. Men, just a little bit louder than the women. One, we're going to say, I have issues on the count of three. One, two, three. I have issues. All right, some of you are like, I've been waiting for my husband to say that forever. Thank you for that. All right, so we're all on the same page, but all of us have issues, and often those issues arise because of one another and between one another. There is almost always some kind of conflict going on in our lives. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small, and somewhere it's Sometimes it's somewhere in between. Now listen, the Bible is relevant for all things pertaining to life and godliness and speaks to these very issues of conflict and reconciliation by showing us in this text a real life situation between two real women in a real church, the church at Philippi. And so what I want to give to us this morning from this text, five truths about conflict and reconciliation. Five truths about conflict and reconciliation. And the first is this, there will be conflict between Christians. You can expect and anticipate conflict between Christians. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. And if you're new with us, that fallen means the fall of man. That means that's when sin entered the world, when human beings willfully chose to not obey God and obey their own ways instead of God. Since then, sin has permeated every single thing in the world, including us and our relationship. So we should not be surprised when conflict comes up, even in the church. And that's what we're dealing with here. Paul's dealing with Christian women. He says, your names are found in the book of life. Paul has been setting up, as we've seen, unity throughout all this letter. And up until this point, he stopped just short of confronting an issue that has made its way all the way to his jail cell in Rome. 
He's been laying the groundwork for a unified church that walks in humility, is one in the same mind in Christ, and now he's ready to take this conflict head on and addressing these two women by name. Now this letter would have been read aloud. The whole church would have been present. And Hughes points out to us that if someone was nodding off at this point, they wouldn't have been anymore when they heard these two names that were mentioned. Now, I would imagine that perhaps these two women's face got a little red, and uh, maybe people are trying to maybe look over them kind of in a way that they wouldn't notice, like one drops a pen and kind of looks back like this, or, or does the double stretch where you look side to side, and everybody knows you're looking back at them, but you think that you're like, just like tricking everybody, right? And perhaps uh, Yudia's name is mentioned first, maybe Sentiki, when she hears Yudia's name, goes, yeah, girl. You better believe it. Give it to her, Paul. She's got this thing coming. And then he says, but I also entreat you, Sentiki. He's like, oh, okay. He is talking to both of us. And that's Paul's intention. He says, I want you both to know I'm calling both of you out equally. He says their name and then repeats the verb after he says their name. And in fact, the Greek here, which is what the New Testament is written in, it actually has the lady's name first, followed by the verb, I entreat you. So he says, Yudia, I entreat you. That means I urge you, I implore you, I exhort you. Syntyche, I entreat you, I exhort you, I implore you. These ladies are not new Christians. It says, Paul says, they've labored side by side with me in the gospel. This laboring side by side speaks of a struggling along together in battle. Paul's saying, these ladies have had my back in gospel ministry and they were involved in it with me. They weren't outsiders trying to come in to infiltrate the church like in the chapter previous to this, the Judaizers. No, they were within the church itself. They were insiders. MacArthur points out to us that perhaps these were the very women in Acts chapter 16 who met with Lydia by the river to pray when the church of Philippi started and they received the gospel, the hearing of Jesus Christ. It was all women that began the church in Philippi. But these women had fallen into conflict and once they had served side by side, but now they've been sidelined by their pride. And listen, this morning, we don't want you to be sidelined. We want you to be effective, usable, and we want you to experience the great joy of being reconciled in unity to others. And the way that we do that is to know that when conflict arises, now is the time to be reconciled. That now is the time to be reconciled. Reconciled is the two enemies now becoming friends. It's a relationship that is now reestablished. Perhaps we could think about it between Christians as making amends, making peace from a conflict, a reestablished relationship with urgency. Maybe you heard this week that it was a little cold outside. Maybe you saw all the videos of kids throwing hot water in the air, right? You've seen all those. 
I was in Minneapolis actually early on this week. Got to go with uh, some of the guys from Living Waters down on the south side up to a conference in Minneapolis. And it was cold, just like it was here. 30 below actually at one point, we were walking 10 blocks to where we were staying. And I mean, you just feel the cold just ripping through your jeans. Even though you got gloves on, you can feel it in your hands. My whole face is covered, but I just felt it in my eyes. And we're just walking like this, you know, right? Totally stiff. And we were about one block away from where we were staying. And everything went from cold to not being cold anymore. And in fact, everything on my body got hot. And I felt like there was this voice inside of me saying, you should just lay down. Like I was part of like a Jack London novel, right? And it's like, just lay down. Everything will be fine. Just sleep it off. And in that moment, though, I was shutting down. I said, I got to get there. And urgently, I ran to where we were staying to get out of the cold. Paul is saying, listen, now is time for you to be reconciled. There should be an urgency to this. I've laid a foundation of unity. Now, don't put it off. Deal with it now. Now, some of you, and myself included, are non-confrontational people, right? Right, I do not like confrontation. I do whatever it takes to avoid awkward conversation. In fact, I would rather just like seek counsel of others, friends of what I'm supposed to do, but then never really deal with the situation. It's a lot easier to write a song than it is to deal with conflict, isn't it? I mean, you think about every, a lot of songs that are out there, they're all about people who aren't dealing with conflict in their lives. A few years back, some of you older folks will be familiar with this one. It's a classic now, right? He walked into the party like he was walking onto a yacht, and then, you're so vain. I bet you think this song is about you, right? A few years ago just now, though, why you gotta be so rude? Don't you know I'm human too? I'm going to marry that girl, marry that, marry that, right? I say, like, dude, just go talk to the dad again. Don't write a song about it. But isn't that what we love to do? Just expand our circles, bring a bunch of unnecessary people into it. Here's what's going on instead of dealing with the person that we have conflict with. Listen, our pastor says very rightly, the longer that you drag things out, the more you drag things in. We need to deal with conflict urgently. It had come to a head here in Philippi and it hadn't been dealt with. It was affecting the worship in the church. It was affecting their gospel witness because they had let things drag out. Jesus speaks of urgency when he says if you're going somewhere and you're gonna give an offering at the altar in Matthew 25, he says so if you're gonna give your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother at your altar and go, you remember someone sinned against you, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus says, stop what you're doing. Even if it's worshiping me, you need to go take care of your conflict before you do anything else. Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Have you done that before? A friend, a spouse, a coworker, I'll just deal with this tomorrow. Does it get any better when you do it that way? No, that's why Paul rightfully says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't put off what you could do today. Deal with it now. Now that's for 
people who don't like confrontation, but some people just really enjoy confrontation. Like there's a few weird people out there like that, right? And we love you. And maybe they're just overly sensitive too, right? And maybe it's like everything has to be a confrontation. So how do I know when is the right time to confront? I don't want to make this a bigger deal than it is. Well, our friends at ACBC, which is a biblical counselors that we've had in here before to do conferences, they give us a few questions to ask before you confront. And if these things are true, then maybe hold off a little bit. Unless you've let it drug out, then you need to confront. But ask yourself this. Did this person intentionally try to hurt me? Was their intention to hurt me? Or am I being overly sensitive that I think everything, everyone is out to get me? Secondly, should I let love hide it? Maybe the person doesn't even know. Is it gonna be helpful for them for you to bring it up to them? Was what they did sinful? Maybe not everybody does the same things exactly the way you would like them to. You need to ask yourself, is this just a preference? They don't do it the way that I want? Maybe they didn't even sin against me, and I'm making a big deal about something. But if they have sinned, you both have come together and have sinned, then you need to confront. Definitely don't drag it out, but deal with it. And we don't know what it is what's going on here in chapter 4. Maybe Syntyche didn't RSVP to her essential oils party. We don't know what it is. But maybe it was something really, really awful. Maybe it was something very difficult. And there was some serious sin that's going on here. And some deep hurt. Whatever it is, little or small, is not important. Paul says it doesn't matter what they did. It's now what they need to do. And what you and I need to do, even if there's deep wounds, is to not drag it out, but to agree in the Lord. That's what he tells him. He says, I urge you, I entreat you to agree in the Lord. He's calling them to reconciliation. The NIV says, be of the same mind together. Does that sound like somewhere else in Philippians? Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself. He says, have this kind of mind and agree in the Lord. Harmon points out to agree does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that we have to agree on every single subject, on every single practice of life. No, it means put aside your personal agenda, agendas for Christ for the good of the church and the advancement of the gospel. If we are not in the midst of reconciliation, maybe we're not having reconciliation issues. And I'm not talking about just big stuff, I'm talking about just day by day, keeping current, being reconciled. Perhaps God is calling us to enter into a reconciliation situation to help mediate. Because sometimes reconciliation requires a mediator. Sometimes it's helpful for someone to come in who isn't involved, uh, isn't involved in the issue to help you work things out in a biblical way. And if you notice here, Paul is urging them, but he's also calling them gently to be reconciled to one another. Look what he says in verse one of this chapter. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love, whom I long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. 
Do you feel the love here coming from Paul? The affection that he has for them? He says, I'm confronting you because I love you so greatly. I care for you so much. He doesn't pull out his apostolic authority card and shame them into reconciliation, but out of love, he gently, but very sincerely and urgently says, agree in the Lord. And then he says, yes, I ask you, true companion, to help these women. So he calls upon somebody in the church, since Paul is away, to help intervene and mediate the situation. Paul names this unnamed person. Now, a lot of people have guessed, well, who is this person that Paul is talking to? He's saying, true companion. Is he speaking of Luke? Is he speaking of Epaphroditus? We're not really sure. Some say, though, that this is actually a guy whose name is Susigus, which is the Greek word companion in this text. And what that word actually means is someone who works well in a yoke. He's saying companion, someone who is really good at working well with others. I would ask you to step in and help these women. Now, it could have been of someone's name, and Paul was using a pun of saying, live up to your name, but it's not to try to figure out who it is, but what he was called to do to help them reconciled, to help them be reconciled. Are you this type of mediator? When someone's in conflict with each other in the church, and you step in, and they say, I need help, Or are you the kind that's like, oh, tell me a little bit more about the situation. This is kind of interesting, right? Just so I know how to pray a little bit better, right? Instead of saying, let's let's widen the circles and get me in more and more of this, of saying, I want to come in, enter into this yoke with the two of you, and help you agree in the Lord. That's what cell group leaders for in this church. Helping people come together. Pastors, deacons, leaders, people who love Jesus that enter into that yoke and say, I want to help you be reconciled. Unity is up to all of us. Sometimes we're called to mediate situations to keep the circles small to help these people find reconciliation because ultimately we want them to experience a restored relationship which brings joy. This whole letter is about finding joy, living in joy in Christ in a restored relationship. Have you ever experienced that? Someone that you were at odds with, the joy of being restored to them? Now sometimes restoration doesn't happen, but Romans 12 verse 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So if you can't be reconciled to somebody, don't let it be because you weren't trying to be restored. Here's some more thoughts from ACBC about some rules of of confrontation. How do we go about going to someone and talking to them about restoration? Well, here's the first one. These are from Ephesians chapter four. Attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. It's your sister or your brother in Christ. Don't attack them, but get to the issue at hand. Avoid words like, you always do this. Well, if you weren't such a stubborn person, these things wouldn't happen. No, no, no. Don't attack them. 
but go about and get to the root of the issue, the heart of what is happening. Secondly, act, don't react. Have you ever been confronted before? And you feel that inner lawyer inside you coming out? It's like, oh man, I gotta defend myself here. I gotta make my case known. But really the only action is to repent. When sin is brought to our attention, it's the legitimate sin, don't say, no, no, that's not true. That's, if you were just better, say, no, I need to repent of that. Act, don't react, do what you need to do to change. And when someone comes to you and does say, hey, I want to make things right with you, don't make them list their sins to you. Don't go, oh, well, you, if you want to make things right with me, you got to tell me everything. Line by line, everything that you've done wrong. Does God do that with you? Aren't you glad that he doesn't? And let me tell you this, someone has said wisely, the only time to put yourself first is when confessing sin. So you see here that it requires humility on both sides. Now this is kind of easy to preach, but hard to do in real time, right? When this is actually happening, and there's so much, it's an emotional situation. When I have an argument with my spouse, and we come together and we try to make things right. And man, there's, there's oftentimes more reacting than acting, right? Like, well, you know, and it's like, oh man, I just feel this urge to defend myself. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, pursuing unity together and finding forgiveness and the joy that comes as a result of that. Look at verse three again. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Number five, having a heavenly perspective will help your earthly relationships. Having a heavenly perspective will help your earthly relationships. Now the book of life is mentioned all throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament, it's called God's book where names are written. In the New Testament it's mentioned here and then two more times in the book of Revelation. It's God's record of all who know him. Roman citizens is what the Philippians were, they were citizens of Rome. They would have had their names written in the city books to show their rights that they had. Their security was found there. That's where they belonged. Well, the book of life is heaven's registry. It's where your security comes from. It's where you belong. So Paul is saying, listen guys, you've got to see beyond the temporal here. Both of your names are written in the book of life. You're joined together with Christ. I entreat you, would you be reconciled? You've got to see things from a heavenly perspective beyond this situation, that there is so much going on here. Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 35, he says, by all this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, so he says, by this, people will know you're my disciples. Now, it's interesting what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, by this, if you read your Bibles, people will know you're my disciples. 
He doesn't say, if you pray, people will know you're my disciples. If you go to church and if you tithe, people will know that you're my disciples. No, instead what he says, by this will people know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So people looking in, he's saying, listen, this is a gospel issue. People are watching and they're looking in and they're gonna be mesmerized. It's not gonna be what you say, but how you love each other they're gonna be drawn into. That's how they're gonna know that you belong to God is the great love that you have for one another. I entreat you, work these things out, have an eternal perspective. You know, one little helpful thing that we do in premarital counseling sometimes is to say, how does this actually happen? How do we draw closer to one another? Well, you think about it in in regards to a triangle, right? So if you have God at the top of the triangle, and this is you, and this is your brother or sister in Christ right here, if we're both pursuing God together, what's happening to us down at the bottom? We're coming together, right? So the goal here is I want to know Christ and be so much like him, and as I grow in him, his thoughts become my thoughts, his ways become my ways, I can deal and work with other Christians because God is bringing us both together in relationships, and the world looks at that and says that's crazy. Nobody loves people that way, but Christians do. These five points that we go through about reconciliation, that we work through about conflict, is to not be surprised that there's conflict between Christians because we're sinners. We all have issues. Conflict is going to arise. And now is the time for reconciliation. Don't wait, don't drag it out and drag more things in, but be reconciled to one another. And sometimes reconciliation requires a mediator. Sometimes someone who loves you greatly will come in and help you, and you experience the joy of a restored relationship and be given a new perspective that will help you. If I'm looking and pursuing the things of God, of heaven, it's gonna affect the way that I live right now. But why would I ever do this? That doesn't make any sense. Why would I ever be reconciled to my husband? Why would I ever be reconciled to a friend, to one of my kids, to my dad, any one of those ways? Why would I ever do that? That doesn't make any sense. They've hurt me so deeply. Because this is what God has done for us in Christ. If you look at these again, five truths about God's reconciliation towards you. There is a conflict between you and God. Every single one of us are at war with God. Romans chapter five, verse one says that we are, Romans chapter five says we are God's enemies. Not because of what he's done, but because we have done and we chose willfully to follow the way of the world and sin rather than God. We aren't born with a relationship with God. And now is the time to be reconciled to humble ourselves and be reconciled to God. But the only way that reconciliation can happen is through a mediator, a go-between, a bridge to God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can make you right with God by believing that he lived the perfect life 
that he died on the cross in our place, on our behalf, and that he rose again. If you believe that, he will forgive you of your sins and present you to God, and you'll come into a restored relationship with God. Jesus says, I've come to bring you life, life abundantly. You can have the joy of having a relationship with God himself, and then that changes the way that you live. You have a heavenly perspective that will affect the way that you relate to people here on earth. It doesn't make any sense for God to do that, but he did. So if you know Jesus Christ and those things are true of you, won't you be reconciled to your brothers and sisters? If you don't know him, won't you be reconciled to God and believe in Jesus Christ? Judea and Syntyche had their names called out in the Bible, the book. Their names are forever in there. Will your name be called out in, the, in God's book? Will your name be called out in the book of life in heaven's registry? I implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the only way your name will be called by God. Trust him today. We're gonna celebrate and remember the Lord's Supper in just a moment. And the Lord's Supper is our opportunity to remember what it took, the price that had been paid for us to be reconciled to God. As we observe together in just a moment, the, the bread represents that perfect life of Christ that was given to us so that he could be qualified to die for our sins. That's what the juice represents. That Jesus Christ died for humanity in our place and he rose again. And communion, it's, you hear it in the word there? It reminds us of the community that we have together in the body of Christ. When we all come together from different backgrounds, different things that we do, we have unity in Jesus. We remind each other of that. And so I would implore you this morning, if God is working on your heart and you know someone, and maybe they're in this room, that you need to be reconciled with, would you take Jesus's call to you to leave what you're doing right now in worship and be made right with that person and then come back and partake together. The scriptures say to examine yourselves before you partake. So I'm gonna give us just a moment here to quiet ourselves before the Lord. I'm not gonna pray right away and you just talk to God. Ask him to search your heart. See if there's a relationship that you need to pursue and make right and find reconciliation. Let's do that now. God in heaven, in the quietness of this moment now, we remember how you've reconciled us. You've brought us near to God. You brought us near to yourself through Jesus Christ. 
you've awakened our hearts to see our need for Jesus through the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that that would cause us to be reconciled to one another. It's easy to just let things go, but it's not right. I pray that we would constantly be reconciled to each other in light of our reconciliation to you. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.